On July 6, 1971, in Corona, Queens, New York City, he died from a heart attack in his sleep. The famous trumpet player and singer, Louis Armstrong, passed away just one month before his 70th birthday. Louis Armstrong, also known by the names Satchmo, Pops, and Ambassador Satch, was born on August 4, 1901 in New Orleans, Louisiana. He was a jazz trumpeter, band leader, film star, comedian, and singer. Due to his father having left shortly after his birth and his mother who had to turn to prostitution to make ends meet, Louis dropped out of school in fifth grade and began working. A nice Jewish family gave Louis a job collecting junk and delivering coal, they also liked his singing and would often invite him over for dinner. On New Year's in 1912, Louis shot off his dad's shotgun in celebration of the New Year, but was arrested. He was sent to the Colored Waif's Home for Boys, a juvenile detention facility, where during his stay he was given a cornet. Basically, it's a smaller, wider trumpet. He fell in love with music there, and once released, he chased his dream to become a musician. Louis began shaping his reputation as a fine jazz player, and in 1918 he re replaced his mentor, Joe Oliver, also known as King Oliver, in Kid Ori's band. As his popularity grew, Louis ceased working odd jobs and began focusing on music full-time. He would play at dances and parties, even at the local small bars that allowed music to be played. He started really honing his skills in 1919 on a riverboat with a band led by Fate Maribel. There, Louis would meet other popular jazz players such as Bix Becky and Jack Teagarden. King Oliver invited Louis to travel to Chicago to join his band as the second cornet in 1922. And of course, how could you turn something down like that? He joined the Creole Jazz Band and began recording with King in April of 1923. Their pianist, Lillian Hardeen, who was also dating Louis at the time, convinced him that he deserved better, and in 1924, Louis left the band and joined up with Fletcher Henderson's orchestra. In that orchestra, he received more solos and helped transform the orchestra into one of New York's first jazz big bands. Although, Louis didn't quite fit in so well there. The band was more of a high-class act that played for the audiences of the Roseland Ballroom, and the leaders prevented Louis from singing due to his hoarse voice. Even some of the, of the band members criticized him about the way he dressed and spoke. I'm kind of happy that he decided to leave the group in 1925 and go back to Chicago to play with Lillian's band. Back in Chicago, Louis created his own band called Louis Armstrong and his Hot Five, later to be Hot Seven. They recorded over 60 records for OK Records between 1925 and 1928. Now, these records were something special. They transformed jazz from ensemble music to a soloist act. They featured extremely high notes and all-around fun times between the jazz members. Louis began singing as, as well in some of these recordings. One popular one that you might know of would be Heebie-Jeebies in 1926. While playing with er Erskine's Erskine Tate's Orchestra at the Vendum Theater, Louis switched from cornet to trumpet. Not a very big switch because they're mainly the same 
instrument, just a bit wider. Uh, one's a bit wider and one's a bit longer. In 1928, Louis joined forces with Earl Hines, a pianist who was influenced by Louis and included his style into his own piano playing. Together, they created some outstanding duets, including Weatherbird and West End Blues. Louis got some acting in as well around this time when he went to New York to act in the musical Ain't Misbehavin' during the summer of 1929. He was featured nightly and have really helped break up the crowds of mostly white audience members. Louis went on a tour in England in 1932 and was loved by musicians, but critics gave him a harsh racist reviews that were some of the worst in his career. That never stopped him, though, and it didn't even phase him. He went back, he went back a bigger star to tour Europe in 1933. After a fight with his manager, Johnny Collins, who already seemed to get Louis in trouble with the Mafia, he, left, he was left in Europe. His lips were sore from playing too much, and so he just decided to take a little bit of a me time, you know, a little bit of a break, and he rested in Europe for most of 1934. Returning to Chicago in 1935, he had nothing. No band, no contract, and still had some problems with the Mafia. That's when he turned to who I would like to call the miracle worker, Joe Glasser, or Glaser. He was a huge fan and friend of Louis, and also his music. And he also had ties to the Mafia because he knew Al Capone, or well, more, more of the mob than the Mafia. It only took a few months, and Louis had a new band, a new contract with Decca Records, and no more troubles with the Mafia at all. See what I said? Miracle Worker. Louis acted in many movies such as Pennies from Heaven in 1936 and Going Places in 1938. During the mid-40s, Louis saw that the swing era was coming to an end, so he decided to downsize his band from a big band to a group of about six. They were called the All Stars. The people in this smaller band changed a lot, but at one point or another, it included musicians like Sid Catlett, Barney Biggard, Bigard, sorry, I keep getting that one. Uh, he, Barney Bigard, Trummy Young, and Edmund Hall. During the 1950s, Louis produced some of his more popular songs for Decca Records, Blueberry Hill, I Get Ideas, as well as La Vie en Rose, just to name a few. He became even more popular overseas around this time, going on tours in Africa, Europe, and Asia. Although his popularity was still rising, the modern jazz fans and young African-Americans thought of Louis as an old performer. The people who sang bebop became more popular, and in the 1940s, left him in the dust. Some new bebop artists criticized Louis through, his, through the press, and even though he fought back, people were still convinced he was an out-of-date performer. In 1959, on a trip to Italy, he had a small heart attack. I mean, I can't really say small, because, I mean, any form of heart attack is a big deal. Um, but, I mean, you could probably see where it came from. He was playing, like, 30, 300 nights a year, which is a heck of a schedule, because there's only 265 days in a year, and 300 nights, I mean, what was it, like a yeep, leap year or something? A yeep, yeep year? Anyway. Despite the heart attack, Louis took a few weeks off to heal and then went back to the same schedule. In 1963, two years of him not making any albums, he recorded a number for the Broadway show Hello Dolly. 
It was published in 1964 and it was a major hit. It rose to number one over the Beatles during Beatlemania. That is an extremely popular album right there. In 1967, Louis released What a Wonderful World, one of my personal favorites of his. He changed up his entire style for it. No trumpet, it was just his hoarse voice and some strings. By 1968, he started having some heart and kidney problems, forcing him to stop performing in 69. Joe Glasser, or Glaser, also passed away in 1969, leaving Louis on his own. Louis was cleared to perform again in 1970 and began booking performances in the U.S. and Europe. Another heart attack put him out of commission for two months. Did he not see that there was a clear pattern here? Because I'm looking at it right now and there seems to be a pattern of heart attacks. Um, But apparently he didn't because he wanted to perform public again before his untimely death. Louis' neighborhood that he was born into was also commonly known as the Battlefield, due to it being a poor and extremely dangerous neighborhood. Louis was the first African-American jazz musician to write an autobiography, Swing That Music, in 1936. He was also the first African-American to get his own feature billing in the credits of Pennies from Heaven. That's um, when your name appears on the credits at the end or, or beginning of a movie. His home in Corona, Queens is now a Louis Armstrong House Museum, receiving thousands of visitors a year. In 1977, it was actually declared a National Historic Landmark. So that is awesome. I actually have to go see that someday. I've never been. Louis married Daisy Parker in 1918. His cousin around that time had given birth to a boy, but sadly died during childbirth. Louis adopted the boy named Charles, or nope, named Clarence. I read that wrong, who had a mental disability, and Louis took care of him for his entire life. Louis divorced Daisy in 1923. He married a woman named Lillian Hardeen, who we spoke about earlier, in 1924. They divorced divorced in 1938, and Louis married Alpha Smith, whom he had been dating for 10 years. Shame, 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 but, you know, you can't really shame someone who's dead. Anyway, moving on. Not happy with the marriage, they divorced in 1942. Later, that same year in 1942, Louis married for the fourth time to a woman named Lucille Wilson. They stayed married until his death. He had no confirmed children um, of his own, but he did have a daughter, Sharon Preston Fulta, whose mother claimed Louis was the father. Whether or not that's true, we won't know, but the letters between them definitely showed that Louis had a bunch of fatherly love to show towards Sharon. So I'm happy to say that that would count in my book. Louis Armstrong's contribution to jazz and swing was a phenomenal one. He created amazing and inspirational music with tons of other musicians such as Sidney Beckett and Bessie Smith. His fiery cornet and trumpet playing as well as his hoarse singing voice will definitely go down in history. Thank you for listening to this episode on Louis Armstrong. That Guy's Dead is written and produced by myself, Zachary Westbrook. For any news on the podcast, or if you have any suggestions on who I should do next, any criticism I might be able to fix, or just to suggest people, which I already said. I have a Facebook page. Just search That Guy's Dead in the search bar on Facebook, and you can find it. 
It looks just like the one on this podcast. If you enjoyed the podcast and you think other people would also enjoy the podcast, please share it with anyone else you might think might also enjoy short audio biographies on dead people. It, it really helps expand the reach of the podcast and kind of get it out there to other people so that they can criticize me too and I can fix stuff and make the podcast the best that it's ever going to be. You can show further support if you wish um, on Anchor by becoming a sponsor or even leaving a review if you'd like. And with that, have a great day and I will see you in the next episode. Don't know when that's going to be. I'm going to try to get them out as fast as I can.